You're listening to What She Said with Candace Sampson, a podcast for Canadian women about Canadian women. A mansplaining free zone, What She Said is here to empower, educate, and entertain you. Fast forward if you've heard this joke before. Dating after divorce is easy. It's just like riding a bike. But the bike is on fire, and the ground is on fire. Everything is on fire because you're in hell. There's very few people I've talked to about the post-divorce dating scene who wouldn't relate to that joke. In this episode, I'm joined by Anne Bookma and Amit Karia from Chapter 2 Dating and Nadine Araxi from Kickstartology. We'll be exploring the process of setting up a divorce profile, tips for dating safely, and how to get clear on what you truly want in a relationship. These three have been in the trenches and, worth noting, have found love, but more importantly, they have wisdom to share that will save you a world of heartache. So whether you're a newly divorced individual or you've been out on the dating scene for a while, this podcast is for you. We hope that by the end of this episode, you'll feel empowered, confident, and ready to take your next steps in the world of love and relationships. So sit back, relax, and let's get started right now. Anne, Amit, Nadine, I'm so happy to have you here today. I think this is going to be a great conversation because a lot of women, the last thing they want to do after their divorce is date. And as somebody who has been there, done that, I know why. <laughs> it's a very different world out there, especially after like, you know, maybe a long marriage after 20 years of being out of that scene. So Nadine, what was your first experience when you got into dating post-divorce? Oh, wow. So like I had not dated since the late 90s. Like I think Google had just become a company when I last dated. I did. I had done some online dating. It was on a desktop computer and finding an image of yourself on the internet was next to impossible. And so I was quite shocked. Like it was like online shopping equivalent of dating for me. And I didn't know what I wanted. I had no clue. I had become, you know, like a pretzel, like just bending myself into many shapes, trying to fit a marriage that was no longer working. And I had no clue what I wanted. I downloaded the apps kind of hesitantly and waited in. It was eye-opening to say the least. People got, you know, sexual really fast on the apps. Uh, There was a lot of behavior that I wasn't expecting. And it's not to say that online dating has to be that way. It absolutely does not. And I've found the other side of it. But it does take a bit when you don't know what to expect to like calibrate to, to signal in a way that attracts what you seek, if that makes sense. And my first dates were just absolutely, I was like a new puppy or something. I just had no clue. You forget, right? You, it's almost like you forget how to date after being out of that scene for so long. Anne and Amit, what were your initial experiences like? Well, I, like Nadine, I was in a long-term marriage. I was in a marriage for 32 years, and thankfully it's amicable, the separation, but you know, for anyone who's separated or divorced, I don't care how amicable it is, it's hard. It's it's a death of a dream, right? And take some healing 
to do before you put yourself out there. And I hadn't dated since I was 19 (laughs) and I'm 60 now. So my, you know, a friend of mine, you know, showed me how to, I'm very, you know, tech adverse and she showed me how to download the apps and I got on and I had my first date. I talked to this guy for half an hour on the phone. We made a plan to meet. There was a miscommunication and where the park where we were meeting, because two parks have the same name, I got all dolled up. I was all ready and he was at the wrong location. And we texted back and forth and he's like, you know what? I'm not coming. (laughs) So my very first online date, I was stood up. I was flabbergasted that people would behave this way. But as time went on, I got better at it. I wasn't exactly sure what I was looking for. What I wanted at that time was a date every Saturday night. I wanted a date every Saturday night, go for dinner, meet someone interesting. And so I was pretty strategic about it. You know, I went on short walks. I kept it to about 40 minutes, walk and talk. And I met 20 men. And I'd say maybe Four of them I had a second or third date with, and then I was lucky enough to meet Amit. And it was a great connection right from the start. And it's been, a you know, 18 months. It's still new, but it's been a wonderful relationship. And together, we he dated a lot too. He'll tell you about that. He's quite a catch. <laughs> and, you know, we started, we talked so much about the world of online dating and the stories and thought, you know, we've learned a lot. We can help people. And so we started Chapter2Dating.com, and we just offer two-hour workshops for women over 50. Nadine's taken it. And we teach everything we've learned, how to stay safe, how to approach it with confidence, how to be strategic. We really do believe it can work. And it works for lots of people, but you need a little bit of hand-holding and education. Wow. How do I follow that up? I, <laughs> ditto. I agree. Yeah. yeah, I think I wasn't married as long. I think my marriage, it was around 22 years. And, you know, things went awry. And I was sort of, you know, with my parents, I actually moved back in with my folks and told a lot of people, I said, the first six months to a year, I think I just cried in the basement because <laughs> there was just, you know, you go through so much. And this is an area that people don't talk about is usually it's the woman who deals with a lot of emotional heartache or, or getting back to, you know, feeling normal. But what about men? Men also go through and we're always portrayed as somehow you know, the, the, the ones who caused it, or maybe they did something in their behavior. And so what about men who are also emotional and who are affected? How do they get out of it? So I had a friend who was online and he asked, he said, look, you're a great guy. You should be online. I said, I have no idea. I haven't dated in so long. I have nothing to offer. Let's take some pictures. Let's work on your bio. And, you know, later on, I realized he was what was considered a player. And so maybe it wasn't the best advice coming from him. But, you know, I was genuine. I was real. And I went on about 20. I met about 20 women in my time. And I've mentioned it that it was a bit like a kid in a candy store. I had no like I, I didn't understand why. People didn't utilize this format. It's such a great thing. It's on your phone and you can put pictures, you can change your pictures every day. You could, I would test different terms and, and see, and I would ask women when they, you know, we had connect, I said, why did you pick me? You had an array of choice. And they said, well, that line that you said, it was so good and you're so funny and you're so fun. And I said, yeah, and imagine that's only my fourth best quality. (laughs) And so it was just, you know, a great experience. And then I met Anne and it's been 18 months of wonder. Okay, that well, that's so romantic. I'm just like that's so sweet. I think the thing is too, it's so different with men and women because for me, didn't too despairing. I was prepared for after my first guy stood me up. I'm like, okay, this is a whole different world. I need a thick skin. 
I cannot take things personally. People are going to ghost me. I don't care. I really put on a suit of armor. And I think that's one of the pieces of advice we give is people are flaky online, but not everybody is. I would not say I felt like a kid in a candy store. Definitely not. Amit's experience was much (laughs) different, right? Because I think there's a better selection of women in midlife, frankly, than there is of men. So women have to work a little harder to find the gems, you know? Yeah. And I think there is that sort of searching for normal. You know, a lot of times you meet people and then you think, well, is it just me or is this just not exactly the person? So then you move on and sometimes you're meeting and dating multiple people at the same time. And, you know, you have to sort of be civil and kind and always treat them the way you want to be treated. And you learn a lot. And no one actually tells you, there's no guidebook really. And especially for men, men are very stubborn and maybe headstrong that, you know, I asked a few of my male friends who were going through, you know, difficulties and they're single. I said, you know, would you ever take a workshop or how are you going to go online? They said, oh yeah, I'm great. Like I'm going to go online. And they had no need for advice, nothing about, you know, maybe model like a good, you know, increase your, your return. You know, it's almost like, don't you want better results? So therefore, you don't have to learn everything the hard way. I don't know. I think men just, I'm going to show, you know, I'm going to show fish pics and that's it. And that's what God. everyone else does, right? Yeah. I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the fish pics. I'm sorry. That is just so. <laughs> I know. Please, please stop this. If you were a man who happens to be listening to, to what she said, please don't do this. I got yeah. stood up by a fish pic once. And he, he. <laughs> He texted to say he had gone fishing and he totally lost track of time. <laughs> you know, we are desperate to offer a workshop for men. When we first started, we said for men and women over 50. And we've done a dozen workshops. Women are amazing. We've had women from 45 to 80. And men, we've had a couple of nipples from men. And they're the ones who really need it, frankly. You know, women need it too. But the men could do so much to improve their odds. And we've had more interest from gay men, actually. Yes. Because I think in that way, that's a group that is very sensitive and open to advice and coaching. And I think that's something that we might consider. Because they, you know, they're much more open. I think the regular hetero man is still like, I'm going fishing. I've got a great fish that I need to, you know. But, you know, I do think there are a lot of good men out there. I do. And, you know, I've seen on Match and, you know, Tinder guys who put some effort, you know, if they put a bit of effort into their photo, it can't be, they can't be too good looking because they're probably fake. And there's a way to do a reverse search on Google to, you know, if they look like they're in the army or something, run. But, you know, there are men who do take it seriously. They've put some thought into their profiles. Those are the ones that you want to look at. If they're not putting any effort into a profile, they're not going to put any effort into a relationship is what I think, you know. Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, it's funny because I used to judge the men that wouldn't write anything for their bio. And I had a girlfriend who was like, that's how I met my partner. He didn't have anything written. I didn't have anything written. And they have a child together now. They met in their 40s. Like, just, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And it depends on what works for you, I think, ultimately. In coaching, in my coaching practice, we have a saying. We say, I'm looking for the people who are looking for me. And I think that's such a great guidepost for dating, for job hunting, anything, searching for clients. It's it's really like getting clear on yourself and who you are is probably if if there are listeners who are new to the world of dating after many years of being married, I was married 17 years with my partner for 20. It's 
there's so much we don't know about ourselves. And I think women really experience that in a different way because they are the caregivers. They are giving so much of their time to their families, their communities, their jobs. And so we lose ourselves in acts of service sometimes. We lose ourselves in the giving and we don't, we no longer know how to receive. And we no longer know what is uniquely us outside of all the labels. And so for me, I took, you know, I think it was six or eight months after I separated from my ex-husband to really start to get to know myself. And I went through many periods where I would just take a break from dating and go investigate and go to therapy or do some self-coaching and journaling and really exploring what do I like? What did I like before I partnered up? You know, oh, I liked dancing. I like going to art galleries and to the movies. And so I started reaching out to people. And my goal was to really fall in love with myself first, because otherwise you're always seeking external validation for your value. And you're going to end up repeating patterns. And I think after going through something as painful, to Amit's point, going through something so painful, you want to avoid repeating a pattern. Now, sometimes it's inevitable. Sometimes we can come at something we've experienced before in the container of a new relationship, and it can be like truly transformative and beautiful. I've been in a relationship now for two and a half years that is that way for me. It's 100%. I'm like, oh, I see the similarities here, but this actually gives me an opportunity to experience some of these things differently and learn. At the end of the day, it's always about learning about ourselves, right? So in our coaching practice, we call it, we tell those who are dating, like, collect data, not judgments. So you're out there, you know, you have a hypothesis. I think I like this kind of person, you know, do I like this kind of person? Or noticing how someone makes you feel when you're out with them. I literally had a spreadsheet at one point. I called it Project Project Equal is what it was called. And I would go on dates and I'd come back and I'd be like, okay, these are my must-haves. These are my nice-to-haves. These are my deal breakers. And kind of just rank them until it becomes intrinsic after a time. But for the beginning, I was like, I don't know what I don't know. Let's go and collect some data. For me, it was being very clear on what I wanted in that moment when I first started dating. And I will never forget this conversation I had with a very old friend early on in my separation. And we were talking about how (laughs) this is awful, I'm going to get real personal. And near the end of my marriage, there was very little sex, you know, obviously. And I remember my friend saying to me, like, if you've got an itch, go scratch it, girl. Like, no, no guilt, just go do it. And she was telling me about a friend of hers who did it. And I thought, all right. And so of course, I jumped on Tinder, because that's all I knew about. That's all everybody talked about. And it is a crazy dopamine hit you get from these apps. And they are geared this way. I I did a deep dive on it. I really wanted to know how this was working. And it's absolutely you get a dopamine hit. I had 99 likes in about five minutes of my picture going up. And you know, it was just crazy and then the messages and all of that as i was scrolling you know it becomes it numbs you like most social media swipe left swipe left and it's like picking off of a menu i like this i don't like that there was a lot in it i didn't like and so i didn't really connect with anybody i was really just curious to see what was out there because i was also grappling with the i'm old i'm never going to meet anybody again so it was a good exercise in knowing, you know what, there's lots, there's still plenty of fish in the sea. So, you know, I will, I will, you know, I felt, 
I guess, buoyed by that a little bit, that, that, that there was hope. And as I was scrolling, I ended up coming across somebody that I knew, uh, you know, from years prior, who was also now single or whatever. And so I ended up reaching out to him separately. <clears throat> and um, so that was sort of my first experience with it. I never actually connected with anybody. I went back much, much later in the process and noticed that of the 99 people who had initially liked my profile, they were all still there again. And there was a lot of that serial dating I, I noticed that was happening on it. And I didn't, I didn't want that. And so I got really, really clear on what I didn't want. And I explored why my marriage failed, what I wanted, what responsibility I held for seeking somebody like that. And, you know, that came with therapy and all of those things that we talk about. But I think it's really important that for me, I was like, I was starved for intelligent conversation. And I was really looking for somebody that I could sit and have these deep discussions with that I was just so desperate for. I found that person. But, you know, it's, you have to be patient, right? And and I think it's also just knowing, so like Nadine said, that you don't want to fall back into the same cycle and the same trap. And then maybe a little bit of intimacy to go with that conversation. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. Normal, yeah. right? Normal. You know, like and- partner that I'm with now, you know, when we first met, you know, we were, you know, you're nervous on your first date or whatever, but we just, we just clicked in a way. There was humor and we were laughing and it was just, it was great. Like, you know, and so I feel very blessed and I feel for women who are on these endless cycles of being catfished and going out with, you know, there's some really terrible people on these apps. It's just, it's disheartening. Yeah. Well, and that's why you need to be savvy. And if you haven't dated, I mean, we have women in our workshops who haven't dated in 20, 30 years. Um, and, you know, a lot of people get scammed. Men get scammed, but we hear about a lot of women who end up giving money away and it wrecks their lives. You just need to know a few key things. I mean, there's five things you need to know not to get scammed. One of them is never communicate with a man who lives so far, too far away or who won't meet you within a week. There's a reason. Once you know that, it's like you have power and information and control, and it makes you more confident. You can, know? I, can I stop you there for a second? Actually, you said that it won't meet you within a week. This is interesting to me because, and Nadine, I'm sure you, you've probably had similar experiences or things, you know, where you're on this constant, you almost have an entire relationship in messaging. You share everything, you spill everything, you talk endlessly, and then you meet the person and there's nothing. That's why you don't want to waste time in endless messaging. You know, a few messages back and forth. You have kids. What do you do? Where do you live? What do you like to do? Get to the date as soon as possible. Women fall in love with men through messaging. And sometimes the men keep it going. The men keep it going because they know that in some ways they don't match that ideal. Or maybe they just don't want to even meet. They just want to have that connection, right? And I think there's a shortage of friends. I think over the pandemic, I know most of my dating time was over the pandemic. That's where I grew the beard. And I just felt that, you know, for me, I knew that I connected with somebody. I wanted to speak to them on the phone. I wanted to meet them as soon as possible. And therefore, you could see where it goes and you can move on. Getting to the first date really important. And I would say to men, you know, if they look nice, they sounded normal, they live close by, I'd say, you want to meet for coffee this week? You know, and they'd be like, oh, like actually meet because I knew within five minutes of meeting them, usually five minutes, whether it was going to work or not, you know. 
So why you cannot waste time when you're 50 or 60 or however old you are, you cannot waste time. So you've got to eliminate, meet them, eliminate, move on to the next. I would usually have two conversations going at a time. I I tried not to have too many because you really can get confused and overwhelmed. And I think it's really important to have a system of control. So I didn't have messages going off on my phone. Like if a guy was dinging me, I looked at it at night. I needed to live my life and I didn't want it to be the focus, but I really wanted to meet someone. I'm the type of person who does better with a partner, who's happier with a partner, but I tried to be you know, strategic about it. I think you both said really interesting things. One is like meet them quickly because then you'll know. A lot of times people on these apps are already in relationships and they're, it's like they're sorts of fun to chat with women. And I don't want to generalize. It could go the other way. Also, you're bored, you're lonely in your relationship and you can go on an app, put up a fake photo, have conversations with people and you find it kind of validating, right? Conversely to Anne's point about being on the being on the apps all the time, like setting those limits of I'm going to check once in the morning and once at night, because if you find yourself compelled to get that dopamine hit all the time, you're likely trying to feed an insecurity, a hole within yourself externally, right? Every time someone messages you, you're like, oh, I'm worthy, but you need to get to that point of worthiness before, because if you don't, then you're going to end up in these situations where where you're vulnerable because you are lonely. Um, you got to know what you're jumping into this for, right? And it can be just it can be just sex as long as you're clear on that and you know that. Or if you're looking for a relationship, you have to be clear on what you want because if you're still if you're looking to just fill a hole, like you said, Nadine, that's that's not going to serve you. Also, you need to get to the date as quickly as possible. You know online relationships or texting relationships are not healthy. Uh, So, you know, that's important. What about when you have that first date? What should you be, is there criteria you're running through in your head? Like Nadine, you said you had a spreadsheet. What, What should you be sort of looking for? And what are some immediate red flags? I think these two can take the red flags. I'll say on what you're looking for. You know, Anne said, I'm happier in a relationship. She collected data, so she knew that she's happier in a relationship, right? She has enough data in 60 years of her life to to know that about herself. And if we do a bit of evaluation, self-evaluation, we all have some metrics, but also you could be wrong. So for me, it was, it was, you know, how do I feel in this person's presence? How is this How's this person making me feel? Because energetic connection is important. My current partner and I met during the pandemic and didn't click on our first in-person meet. In fact, it was the third one. There was lots of interesting conversations. The conversations were great. He was mentally stimulating. But the first time we met, I was so nervous. He's as you came out like a like a witch on a broom. I think I was sweeping my front porch or something because we were having this distance date, you know, like I was all frazzled. And so it's important to say, like, how does this person make me feel? So for me in that context, it was like, I really like talking to this person. If this goes nowhere, I always want to have some relationship with this person in my life because I enjoy him as a person. And when I talk to him, he asks interesting questions. And that's kind of cool. So really checking in with yourself on that point when you're on those dates. Because I think 
Sometimes when that chemistry happens quickly, it's because it's familiar and then you get into old patterns. So you have to really, really ask yourself a few strategic questions. How does this person make me feel? When they said that and it made me feel a certain way, what was that about? Does this, does this matter enough to me to keep going? Right? Because I think sometimes we get disappointed and we're like, forget it. I know I did that. I would just shut down for months at a time. So it's like, does this matter enough? Do I want this badly enough that I'm going to risk getting it wrong a bunch of times? So when you talk about red flags, if I went on a walk with a guy and in the first 20 minutes, he didn't ask me a question and 20 minutes is frankly too long. I was like, forget it. I don't care how good looking he is or what he might have to offer. I do not want to be with someone who's not going to know the basic decency to ask a question. And I went on quite a few walks like that. They need to show an interest. And it's the same with texting. You mentioned, Nadine, the couple that didn't have any information on their bio, but their relationship worked out. That's okay. But once you start texting, once someone starts texting you, if all they're saying is, hi there, or hey, beautiful, that's a low investment kind of guy. He's not putting in an effort. He's probably texting that to 20 people. So, you know, is someone going to show a genuine interest? You know, women tend to be better at conversation generally than men. You know, we get intimate very fast. Female friendships are, you know, very intense. I think it is a little harder for men. You're not going to maybe get all of that from one person and you shouldn't. You need a, you know, group of people. But the man has to show an interest. And if he's not, you're just wasting time, you know? Yeah. And I, you know, when you go, I, connections with women who, you know, they would talk and they would talk about bad, you know, what they didn't like and what they wanted. And they said, oh, you know, you better not be like this and you better not be like this. And I said, at the end of it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is definitely somebody who's still repairing. He's got a lot of heartache. And, you know, maybe we just, I would always tell people, even on our coaching is that look for friendship. You know, it doesn't have to be sort of a romantic partner. It's not somebody who's going to replace and be your permanent, just a friend. Like, how about having a friend that you meet for coffee? I used to go for a lot of walks, you know, and it would always be at a park or somewhere along the lake. And, you know, people would enjoy that half an hour, one hour chat with a coffee, and then we would leave it at that. No pressure to say, oh yeah, we're gonna meet again, you know, in a few days. We would just leave it, and then you're gonna connect by text later on, and then decide. And it was always tricky, like, how are you gonna draw? You know, you don't wanna leave them feeling badly, you'd always, you know, I would say that, look, I didn't feel a connection, but you're amazing and you have so much to offer. And, you know, I wish you all the best, but the ghosting was, I had a tough time with that where women would not respond at all. And I would have this thing where I'd say, okay, five days till, you know, dropping off conversation, four days to go. Are you going to qualify for the trip to Paris? You know, if you respond. And then I I realized that women and men it's such an easy way to be lazy on yeah. that. You can just be lazy. You can say, oh, I've connected with 50 people. I'm not gonna respond to anybody. Yeah, and you know, the strategy, the first date strategy, so here's something that we teach is, you know, you go for a walk with someone, you know, you kind of know, yes, I'd like another date. And you know, often it's the guy who feels he has to ask. And sometimes they'll ask when they don't really want to because they're trying to be polite. There's that really awkward moment at the end of a first date. So what we suggest is to say, This has been nice. You know, it's great to meet you. Why don't we both step away and think about it and get in touch with each other later? That avoids that awkwardness where the guy is maybe asking you out when he really isn't that interested or you feel uncomfortable and don't know what to say. It's much easier later to text and say, you know what? It was really nice meeting you. I just didn't feel the connection I was looking for. Wish you the best of luck. 
Yeah, and I, I would just say too to that, you know, I think a lot of women, you know, we, we hop in a relationship, we feel that's the way we should be. But I know a lot of women who have since come to the realization that they are much happier alone. And this is a really good time to define what you want your next relationship to look like. I mean, I have heard of people who are in relationships, committed relationships, but don't live in the same house. You know, there's all kinds of things like that happening where you can really define and make your relationship what you want it to be. And it doesn't have to be on anybody else's terms. It can be on you and your partner's terms on what you want that to look like. You know, I said not living in the same house. There was a couple I heard about who bought homes next to each other. And just so they could have separate spaces. They're still very much committed, but they have separate homes. Oh, yeah. So there's all, all kinds of ways you can you can do that. And I think it's such a great time to actually make that work for you. Because often, I mean, let's face it, like not many people are getting into their 50s and having oh. kids. <laughs> so you can remove that. <laughs> That's the blessing of dating after 40, really, like you're very likely you have ticked off all those life boxes and you woke up one morning and you're like, is this all there is? And, you know, you just, you're like, I don't need to date with the same criteria. I don't necessarily, I mean, some people may. My situation is I don't need someone to buy a house with. I don't need someone to have children with. I maybe never want to share a bank account no, not maybe. Definitely never want to share a bank account with someone else again. Like, you know certain things about yourself. You've gotten yourself to a certain place in life. And you have so much freedom to explore the stories of what a relationship should look like. There's so many shoulds that come from the culture. Happily ever after. Get married again. Da, 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 da. You don't have to do any of that if it doesn't suit you. And sometimes when we're at a crossroads in a relationship at this age, it's a good time to say, well, does that actually matter to me? Or is that just like an old story I have in my head because I watched a lot of like Disney princess movies growing up? You know, it's, it's, Absolutely. You get to carve a path. And the thing is, it will make everyone in your life really uncomfortable because they've all, they're still on that path potentially, right? They, they've bought into the shoulds and you have to really, really know yourself so that you can say, you know what, that might work for you. I'm going this way. It works for me. I'm happy. I'm healthy. That's all that should matter to you. I've really had to do that with my own mom, right? Middle Eastern culture, uh, very old school. And she just wants to see me settled, quote unquote. Well, what does that mean? Like, I have a mortgage and a career and two kids that one of them's in an adult now. Like, I think I'm doing pretty fine. If I evaluate my data here, we're okay. I don't need to have a man to protect me necessarily or whatnot. It's just, it's always... When that self-doubt comes out, taking that moment to say, well, okay, like, does this actually matter to me? Is this true for who I am today? And can we just talk for a second about sort of the, the shame that is attached to online dating? Because I would say most people, you know, over 40, 50, who are getting back into dating, that's not how they met their first partner. And there seems to be a lot of judgment that comes with, well, how did you meet? Oh, we met online. And people attach judgment to that. It's changing you know? It is changing. Yeah, I, I hope so, because let's be fair. How many ways can you meet somebody when you're a certain age? It's not like, you know, you're not hanging out in a social setting where 
especially during the pandemic when most of us work from home, we don't even have the luxury of meeting people in the workplace anymore. (laughs) So it is changing. But I do still think that there is some stigma and some shame attached to how you met your partner because people want that meet, people want that meet cute story, right? You know, if you were a 60 year old woman 50 years ago and you got divorced, you might find a guy in your church or synagogue or something. You were pretty stuck. You were pretty stuck. Today, it's amazing. There's a lot of negatives, but there's also a world of possibility. You could meet a guy every day if you wanted, you know? So I think online dating is amazing. And if you are serious about meeting someone, it is where you have to be. Sure, you might meet a great guy while you're both reaching for a melon in the grocery store, but (laughs) that's pretty rare. Or someone might set you up. But, you know, available men in midlife, either they're recently divorced or widowed or, you know, they're just harder to find. So I want to just, you know, we'd, we're going to bring this to an end soon, but I want to talk about the dating profile. Now, I don't want to specifically focus on men. We all know, please stop putting fish in your pictures, men. But because this is what she said, I would like to focus on the dating profile for women and what you put up there. What do you share in, in that profile? So it's really important to have great photos. Men look at photos. They are not going to read a great big long bio. You have to have great photos. You need at least three, preferably five. You need a full body shot. You need to be maybe smiling is so important, you know, being approachable, being warm. So you really need good photos. Invest in your your photos. And in terms of your bio, one thing that Amit taught me was point form. Men like point form. Easier to read. They don't want a whole history of your life and what you're looking for and blah, blah, blah. Point form. You know, I love walking my dogs in the morning and nothing like a cup of whatever Java gets me going. The last place I visited was San Miguel. Had it, you know, point form, keep it simple. And you want to encourage. That's interesting. Yeah. Point form is, and I did that. I found that it got the biggest, because I would ask for feedback from women, you know, and say, hey, what did you like in my profile? What could be better? What did you like in the pictures? And they would give you feedback that you would never thought. Looking at other people's profiles also helped. Yeah see what else was out there and what was working. That's right. And give specifics. Don't do generalities. Men need to have something to ask you about. So instead of I love walking my dog, maybe I have a Russell Jack, Jack Russell Terrier and I walk in Hyde Park every weekend. Well, you know, just give them something specific so they can ask you about it, right? Not to be too general, you know, none of this long walks at the beach, you know. And the pictures, a lot of women would have pictures with their friends and their friends' heads crossed off or pictures with their kids and they would try to block. I said, you know, just put pictures of yourself, you know, maybe not as many selfies, but at least, you know, full body shot, one or two of those are important. Keep everyone else out of the picture. I always found that that was yeah. And you ch- you changed up your profile. I changed quite my a bit. pictures very often. And your and yeah. your words. Yeah, my words. Updated always. What are some absolute things you should never, for security reasons, you should never put? I mean, I always was put off by people who had kids in their pictures. To tell you the truth, I thought that was an absolute no go for me because I felt it was unsafe. Um, I don't know why they did it necessarily. I don't know what like. For a woman in particular, I think it potentially could draw predators to you who might be looking at your kids, frankly. Um, And I had teenage daughters. I was very aware of that. So what are some other things you think about when it comes to safety and security for your online profile that you should never put out there? 
I made the mistake early on of telling people I was a journalist. And so if you type in Nadine Journalist Canada, it's really easy to find me. And did you have similar? Oh, well, because like, a you know, I'm on radio, I have a fairly decent social media following. So yeah, I definitely had some people find me that way. And it made it very, very awkward. So I used a fake name initially, you know, but that's another reason why you get to the date right away. As soon as you meet someone, you've got so much more information to go on about them, right? The comfort level. And then I would give people my phone number. There's a way to do no caller ID. I had trouble with that, but yeah, don't say, I could find out stuff about men. I remember one guy, he had a picture and he had his name badge and his full name on it. I found him on LinkedIn in two seconds, you know? So people have a social media presence. So you got it. And there's nothing wrong with using a fake name initially, just your first name. As women, we are vulnerable, right? So the other thing that comes up as you're dating is, you know, if you have children in your home and who you're inviting in your home. So you want to be really, really careful about who gets to be in your space. And so taking your time is absolutely okay. Scratching itches is okay too, but do it outside your house. Exactly. Um, until you're sure this person is who they say they are. Uh, yeah, the people putting kids in their photos, that's like just so weird to me. It's like, hi, look at me. I'm a great dad. Like, well, there are other ways to express that without, you know, exposing your children. Uh, some of my other really red flags with safety are, you know, if someone's asking you for things you're not comfortable with too quickly, you know, that's a red flag for me. It's it's just like, I'm just, it's not my person. I like to take my time. So, you know, my bio in the pandemic and I met my partner on Hinge was looking for someone who is also looking for a Jane Austen style slow burn in lockdown. <laughs> and that like eliminates a whole host of people, right? You kind of have to know who Jane Austen is. Like I ended up with a librarian. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the ideal? I just want to, we're going to wrap it up. I, I want to know what's the ideal first date and who pays? Andis, this is a great, great topic. So ideal first date. You know, for me, it was always walk. I had a few bad ones where, you know, the women would say, let's meet for coffee, and then it would be delayed. And then it became like around five o'clock. And then she said, oh, I'm kind of peckish. Do you mind if we order something? I said, sure, why don't you order an appetizer? I wouldn't mind a cocktail too. I said, okay, I wonder what's the entree. Oh, look, it's the special. Let's have that. And maybe we could end off with, you know, honey Cristo or, you know, coffee, and then maybe a couple of desserts. And and then I was like, oh, wow, this became, and I really didn't click at all, but she was enjoying this free meal because at the end, the bill came and she was like, well, I'm just going to go and powder my nose. And and I'm like, okay, so what do I do here? And $100 bill. And then I said, listen, it was great. And I said, oh, you're walking. Do you want me to give you a lift? I'll give you, she was like, no, I don't want you to know where I live. I said, no, but I'm really harmless. Like, you you know, you are harmless, yet the woman is thinking, oh, red flag, you want to know where I live, red flag. Well, I wouldn't get into anyone's car yeah. after first date. Well, but- she took it because she didn't want to take Uber and spend the money. <laughs> so I said, okay, great. I, I gave her a lift back and there was leftover pizza and she had left it in the car. So after I left, I messaged her. I said, oh my gosh, you left your pizza. She goes, oh, that's your modus operandi. That's how you you are trying to get. I said, no, no, really, there's no connection and you can have the pizza. She goes, okay, I will meet you downstairs. You pass the pizza from the passenger <laughs> side. I said, no problem, take it. <laughs> I have very strong opinions about who pays. You both pay. 
unless it's a coffee, let him pay. Why would you go out with someone that you don't know? Why should he pay for anything for you? And some of my friends disagree with me on this. We're independent women. We're confident women. We've made our own way in the world. The whole idea of a guy paying to me is is very odd on a first date. I would always, pay, and I would just avoid a dinner or a lunch or anything on the first date. I agree. And I think it's because it becomes transactional at that yes. point. Yes. And you don't, you want to eliminate that entirely from that initial meeting. And, you know, if somebody pays, then the power dynamic has shifted Correct. in that yep. relationship. So I, I agree. Both should pay. So, sorry, Nadine, you have thoughts? Yeah, I agree too. You don't want to create a power imbalance off the gate. You you don't want to create a situation where you might feel like you owe someone a second date if you don't want to have it. And on this point, yes, there are certainly people who, you know, feed themselves off dating apps. Yes. Yeah, you just want to make sure and you you can very clearly outline that before you go because if it matters to you to have an equal relationship, identifying that upfront will weed out someone who absolutely might have more misogynistic views potentially, right? So you're getting really really clear is this person for me or are they not? You know, you are these little questions that you ask up front that kind of expose those things, whether they're a deal breaker or not for you. Mm. And one other thing I want to just say, which I thought was interesting on this online dating journey, was that people would ask how far along I was in my divorce process. And it was a real telltale sign of what they were looking for, because the ones that wanted a more committed relationship wanted me to be further away from the divorce process. Because somebody who's in the initial stages, early stages, they're probably not psychologically prepared to be dating, and it may not turn out to be a good thing. So I think that was a really interesting question that people asked. And I respected that they asked that. Because I did have several gentlemen who would say, sorry, like, I'm just gonna, you need to get through this first. And and that's fair. That's very interesting, Candice. I had that as a deal breaker too. Not that because I was separated and, you know, I wasn't really along in the process because I wasn't in a hurry. And it was interesting that when I met Anne, she was also separated and she wasn't in a hurry and it worked out for us. But I had a couple of women who specifically said exactly to your point, they said, well, you're not, you know, it doesn't sound like you are rushing to get your divorce. And I really don't want to be involved because I had a case like she was, I met somebody it was, it was terrible. It was two years of hell. And I do not want to go through that. So let's end it early here. And good luck. And that was it. Yeah. And I have a couple of friends who would not date a man who was separated. For me, it wasn't an issue because I've been separated for four years. I'm not divorced. I, I, you know, I'm obviously not living in the house. I mean, some people are separated and they have to live in the same house. I have an issue with that. But if someone was separated, it didn't really bother me. Again, it was getting to the first date, getting to the first date and getting all the information. And talking it out. I think everyone's got a different story, right? Yeah. There's all individual cases. We're not really in, in like three or four buckets. Like where there's so many options. And if you trust the person that they're being honest, and I think that's important, making sure that you're let your, your sixth sense sort of rule and say, okay, is this person telling the truth? And what's their true intention? And giving them the chance, right? Going through the dance and seeing if it continues. Yeah, and only time will tell with that. Someone can seem fantastic, but time is the true, you know, the true serum, I guess. And 
you know, it is a risk. It is a risk to meet somebody brand new. It is a risk. And it's feelings. so, it's so like I have a case and Ann knows this one is a close friend of mine who is a player and he is seeing three women right now. And he tends to tell everyone up front, look, I'm not ready for commitment. You're not my wife. You're not my mother. You know, I can do what I want, but listen, he cooks and he's very good. He's got a great personality, but you know, he's met somebody who, uh, you know, is is more from a traditional Middle Eastern background, Nadine, and and this girl is in love with him, and she's like, he's the best person for me. Yet I know he's with other people. He messages these other women when he's with her. And she's asking me for advice. Now I'm in total conflict here because this is my bro, my buddy, and yet I'm telling her, listen, do people change? No, you need to follow what is good for you. And she's like, you know, that means I have to turn my back to him. I said, well, I know. And he cooks and he's so great and he takes you on trips. Yet you are one of many. Is this what you want? Yeah. Some people can handle that. You know, polyamory is growing. Some people are able to, and no, to be honest, when we first met, we were dating other people and we were both honest about that with each other. We were not committed or uh, monogamous for the first few months. and. I would never have done that in my younger years, but I'm older and wiser now. I know that it takes time to get to know someone, right? And I know that, you know. And then the big question, when are you going to get off those sites, right? That's always the big, oh, we've been dating now for X number of we, months. We never had that conversation. We yeah. just kind of went Naturally off it on the way. Yeah. I wasn't going to force him and he wasn't going to force me. And eventually, you know, and you know, the one message I'd love for your listeners to to leave with is, yeah, online dating is hard. There's ghosting. There's a lot of bad stuff, but there's also great stuff. And you just need to be a bit skilled. And it is really never too late to meet someone great. My mother is 78. My stepfather died four years ago. She met a man in her building who's 87. She is in love. She's happy. They're like young people, you know, and it's never too late. Nadine, anything to add? Yeah, I just want to say, you know, I talked a lot about what I didn't know about myself, but you absolutely don't have to be a perfect, fully formed human going into this. So we all come with our own baggage and the best relationships are when we, you know, grow together, when we learn from each other, when we ask each other questions with compassion of, have you noticed you keep doing that or or what have you, and you work it out together. It's such a beautiful thing to evolve together as a couple. And that is something I think that we can have in our 40s, 50s, 60s and onward that we might not have had in our 20s when we didn't, there's so much we didn't know about life and who we were and what we wanted. And so it's kind of a very beautiful time, in my opinion, to explore dating. And I would encourage anyone who's been hemming and hawing. And, you know, I met someone yesterday who she's been separated for some time, similar to Anne and I, like great relationship with her ex. But she's like, I haven't gone there yet. If you're scared, that's okay. It's going to be scary. We're putting ourselves out there. But end reward of like, being in this loving container where like someone can, I don't know, we're at this age where, you know, someone taking me to the doctor is a really nice gesture. And, you know, someone bringing me food, like what are the gestures that mean something to you? And and finding that is just so worth doing the work and dealing with the uncomfortable parts. So I guess that's where we'll wrap it up then. So let's how people can get in touch with you. So if you could share your websites and social channels where people can connect and maybe message you about some of the things they heard here today. And I'll put all of those links in the liner notes of the podcast. 
So you can reach us at chapter2twodating.com. We offer, you know, a workshop every other month or so. We've got one coming up on Sunday, March the 5th. It's two hours. It's $79. It's a steal. And we can also help you write your bios. And that's what we're offering at this point. We're hoping to do. We do have a in-person workshop at a retreat in September. You can find out more about that on our website. All right, Nadine, you're, I know you're everywhere, sister. I've known you for a long time, but where could people find you? Yeah, so absolutely. So my coaching program, which I run with my business partner, Stephanie J. Marshall, is Kickstartology, like kickstartology.com. And you can find me everywhere, Nadine Araksi, A-R-A-K-S-I, on all the socials, basically, except I'm avoiding Twitter right now. (laughs) That's a a whole other podcast. Don't go there, lady. Absolutely, (laughs) yes. All right. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me today. This was great. Hey, listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster. And not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100%. Because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.